Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. It's straight out of Cobham, the show about Chelsea FC from The Athletic. On this episode, 1-1 against Man United, inevitably. The Blues aim to sew up Champions League progression in Salzburg. And England and Harder get Chelsea winning in the rain. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Welcome in then, listener. It's the first of our twice-weekly Chelsea Chats. I'm Matt Davis-Adams, joined today by none of the Athletics Chelsea experts, but two Chelsea experts nonetheless. Uh, Sam Parkin's back with us. How are you doing, Sam? Very good, Matt. Good to see you. Likewise. And Jesse Parker-Humphreys is here too. You made it back, Jesse, from Crawley on Sunday night. Um, You weren't crawling, you weren't swimming, but it was pretty close. Yeah, never say working in football isn't glamorous, so. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the women's game later, but first we're going to start with Saturday's frustrating stalemate. Jorginho from the penalty spot after McTominay's foul. It's Jorginho steps up, right-footed, sends the hair the wrong way. And Chelsea have the lead. United finishing the game the way they played it in the first half to the back post. And McTominay off the post and saves and in. Manchester United are claiming it. It's Casemiro off the post. Did Kepa manage to keep it out? No is the answer. He clawed it onto the post. He couldn't claw it back off the line. And Casemiro puts it in deep in stoppage time at Stamford Bridge. Over the course of the game, uh, points are fair, fair results. Um, we're obviously disappointed because we're nearly there in terms of um, getting an important victory. So we're disappointed when you concede so late. But... Um, Yeah, no complaints in terms of the attitude of the players. Well, we all knew what was coming when Jorginho put the pen in, didn't we? The latest chapter in Chelsea 1, Manchester United 1 went down at Stamford Bridge on Saturday night. The home side thought they'd won it when Jorginho hop, skipped and jumped Chelsea into the lead on 87 minutes. But with perfect timing and some help from goal line technology, Casemiro equalised deep into stoppage time. Trying to go for a Casemiro slash Casio timing joke there. I don't think it's really worked. He is quite new to the league, so maybe wait to the return fixture and see if we can improve on that. Um, Simon Johnson was there for The Athletic, and he sent us this voice note from Stanford. They just can't beat them, can they? Chelsea won, Manchester United won. The final whistle just gone. And just a few minutes to go, Stamford Bridge was rocking. Now it's pretty quiet. All you can hear are the United fans in the away end celebrating their late, late equaliser. The very, very uh, close equaliser. A few inches over the line, Kepa so close to producing yet another save of the season contender from Casemiro's header. Tipped it brilliantly onto the post, but he just couldn't quite prevent it from going over the line on the rebound as it went across the goal. Chelsea had taken the lead just a few minutes earlier, Jorginho from the penalty spot after Scott McTominay brought down Broya from a corner. Rather needless foul, the kind of fouls that 
idiotic players do these days and quite rightfully punished. But yeah, there's a real feeling of disappointment around the place here. Uh, of course, this is the end of Chelsea's clean sheet record. Uh, but they just can't beat Manchester United. That's now, of course, five years since their last Premier League win. It's now going to stretch into a sixth year. But you have to say it's a fair result. At the start, in the first half an hour, Chelsea were completely outplayed, especially in midfield. And yet again, Graham Potter had to make a change. This time he didn't even wait till half-time to make the change. Such was United's dominance. He brought on uh, Kovacic for Cucurella. And suddenly Chelsea were on the front foot. They're actually like looking to be positive. Perhaps there's a lesson for Potter there. Far too negative for his uh, initial lineup. That's three games in a row now. He's he's changed the starting lineup. On one hand, that's a sign of a coach that recognises something's going wrong and changing it. On the other hand, once again, it looks like he may have got it wrong to begin with. But uh, yeah, Chelsea much the better side after that. Um, really sort of, especially second half, they had a lot more possession. Unfortunately, Aubameyang didn't have his uh, finishing touch. There were a couple of chances that he wasted. And overall, there was a general lack of quality. I'd say from both sides, actually. You sort of remember how Chelsea, Manchester United used to be the pinnacle of English football, the biggest game there is. Well, I think we saw evidence of why this is 4 3 big uh, before kick-off. It was... Uh, it's a reasonable game, but not a great one. I've just seen Kovacic, by the way. He's giving his kit away. He's running off with his pants. Just his pants and socks and boots on. That has certainly got a few uh, people in the crowd watching very closely, some more than others. <laughs> not me, of course. I'm, I, I have lost my focus, though. Anyway, uh, Kepa's just waving to the crowd there. He couldn't have done any more. Arguably Chelsea's best player again, although Chalaba I think runs it pretty close. He's just given his shirt to a Chelsea fan. Another magnificent performance from him. But yeah, if we were to summarise the start to the Potter era, there's some positive signs. You know, they are tougher to beat, but there's still a lot of work to do, especially going forward. That little bit of quality is, is, is lacking, I'm afraid. But Chelsea won, Manchester United won. A little bit of a anti-climax to what had threatened to be a really, really big and much-needed win for Chelsea against one of their rivals. Simon Johnson, uncensored, like Mateo Kovacic at the uh, the end at Stamford Bridge. There, far too negative, lack of quality, crikey. Um, Jesse, he's sort of right, but I thought Ben Chilwell uh, surmised it really well at the end. He said, "A fair result, a draw that felt like a loss." That that kind of sums it up, right? Yeah, and I think it just felt particularly frustrating that this is kind of the second time this season that this happened at Stamford Bridge against kind of a top top four rival, you know, to have the Spurs game end that way and then have this one end that way. It's the draw definitely was was fair. I can't like I didn't come away like I did at the Spurs game feeling like this is really frustrating. We deserve to win the game, but there's just something really annoying as well, isn't there? When you've got, you know, the United fans already going for it when it's like, because they've had the momentum right at the end. And and I just thought it was really disappointing how unable we were to control the game after we went 1-0 up. It, it felt like, it felt like the equaliser was coming and it, it just didn't need to feel that way, I don't think. And it just felt like there was no one in the team who was able to kind of, really slow down the game and say stop like we're just going to put our foot on the ball we're just going to kind of see out you know the the six minutes of injury time or or whatever it was and yeah it's just always so frustrating when you concede in those moments isn't it 
Did you feel the same, Sam, that Chelsea looked like conceding even after scoring the goal so late on? Yeah, really deflated. And Jesse's right. Similarities to the, obviously, the outcome against Spurs, but the, the feeling as well, defending the lead, never felt comfortable. And Salzburg to a similar degree, I think, in the in the Champions League as well. Just, um, yeah, it's become a little bit of an issue this season, but I don't think we should get too carried away. You know, it's been a good start under, under Potter, but yeah, they really struggled to get going. Manchester United did a little bit of a job and it obviously forced that change in the first half, which had an immediate impact. And it was only afterwards that we learned of Kovacic's injury problems. Otherwise, you'd be scratching your head as to why he didn't start after having such a positive impact against Brentford. So once that was, was sorted out, it was a much more even game, but still not enough on the goal. Just one attempt from Aubameyang, Mount and um, Sterling collectively. That's not enough. And when you're not getting productivity from the wing-backs as well, it's a bit of an issue. The, the creative sparkle doesn't seem to be solved, um, for a better turn of phrase. Um, so, yeah, it was it was deflation on the final whistle because you think Chelsea have got away with not playing well, well, being outplayed for large portions of the first half and looked like they were going to get maximum points. So, yeah, deflation, but not to worry. On to the next one. So started with a back three here and, and as Simon and Sam have pointed out, quickly changed to bring Kovacic on what, what half an hour in as they were getting swamped in midfield. This is what Simon's post-match piece is about, Jesse, up on The Athletic. Are you minded to say it's good to have a reactive manager who spots when things are going wrong and changes it? Or are you concerned that this happened at Aston Villa last week and it happened again that he had to change the lineup that he'd started with fairly soon into the game? I think what you've got to bear in mind when you think about this is that United also came into this game differently to how they did against Spurs, where they started Fred and here they came in with Ericsson. And I think that naturally changed the way their midfield looked like and how it felt. You know, you had two players in, in Ericsson and Fernandes who were playing further forward in a way that Fred probably wouldn't have done. So I think to be fair to Potter... Obviously, if you're planning for what you think is one eventuality and it doesn't come up, you do have to react in that way. I don't think you can entirely just say he got it wrong because he he was reacting to something that another manager had put together. That being said, you know, I think there is something maybe longer term about, which has always been, I think, a bit of a problem with Jorginho about how his ability to maybe deal when he's at the base of midfield with, with maybe some more creative players and how much you can rely on him to do that. And especially, are you going to be able to get the best out of him if he doesn't have the protection as well to then do the stuff that he is good at in terms of being on possession and being on the ball? And I think that was where the kind of problem in in midfield came. And I think not only was it making the sub as well, but I thought what Potter did well was how he also used Mason Mount to sit on Casemiro more to stop giving him time. But there clearly was, you know, a mismatch and... He solved it and, and the impact was immediate. So I think broadly, you have to give Potter some leeway on this, both in terms of what United were doing and in terms of the fact that this is a new team that he's coming into. He is still figuring out, you know, what his best combinations are, how it works. I don't think you can expect a manager just to come in and automatically know what their best eleven is. And and five changes now as well. So we're probably going to see this more and more in, in the game that you have the, the luxury of being a bit more proactive with your substitutions. One other thought just in the in the, the wake of this is your man management comes into play when you're taking players off in the first half. <laughs> I mean, these are 
these are modern day players. They'll expect that the managers will tinker. I think Jose Mourinho was probably the start of it, maybe in the in the Premier League in terms of making really bold decisions. But believe you me, it's not a nice feeling being taken off in the first half. It happened to me once at Tynecastle, and I didn't look at the manager for two weeks. So it's a test on the training ground to cajole everyone. Um, he's got that personal relationship with Kukurea. He took it. It looked in decent spirit, but you have your head bowed. You don't know who to look at. And it's a miserable couple of days when that happens. And if it's going to happen frequently, it's a job for the staff and for, for Graham Potter to keep everyone focused and and pulling in the same direction because it's a tough one to take for, for any player. Right, some questions. Did you get subbed off because you weren't playing very well and did you go <laughs> straight down the tunnel and do a like full Ronaldo or did you sit there sulking on the bench? I was playing disgracefully. I was awful. <laughs> um, I think I touched the ball twice. But what was brilliant is that Derek McInnes was the manager. He took me and Alan Mabry off at the same time. So Alan Mabry, remember him, Leeds fullback? We were in the dressing room together, obviously, and just obviously just like looking at each other a little bit teary eyed, but probably with a smirk as well. So it was quite nice um, sharing it with with Mabes, who was a lovely man. Um, well, Raheem Sterling, Jesse, he didn't get taken off in the first half, but it was another, I'm going to say, slightly difficult game for him. It's, I think it's seven games now he hasn't scored in. Obviously, there's a caveat that some of those he's had to play at wing back, at least certainly at the start of the game. He did 79 minutes here. I just felt, being in the stadium, that the tide turned a little bit against him from some of the supporters, particularly during the second half as his decision-making was a little bit wonky. Is, is he somebody who's who struggled a bit under Potter where others like Mount have flourished? Yeah, it does feel that way. Although, as you say, you know, being moved around the pitch doesn't help. I think what concerned me most about Sterling in this game wasn't just the on-ball stuff, but the kind of off-the-ball energy and, you know, how effectively he was looking to press and making that work. And I think, you know, obviously pressing is such an important part of the modern game, blah, blah, blah. It's also something where I think when things aren't going your way on the ball, you can kind of use that to bring some more energy to your game. And it just feels like when players kind of start to switch off that, they start to switch out of the entire game regardless. But I think also at the same time, you could see the kind of hesitation starting to come into his play as well in when he's making those decisions, which I think also speaks to a player who is out of form. And I was really surprised to see Pulisic not starting, to be honest, because I think that is a player who has not always been in great form, but has looked really good recently. And I think this is something that'll be interesting to see, right? As we see, you know, Potter's kind of first choice 11 coalesce. We have seen lots of changes being made and lots of rotation, but, you know, did this game kind of show that Sterling is seen as undroppable inverted commas and that because I think on merit you would have said that that Pulisic would have been the the obvious starter right mm, Sterling's never scored against Man United Pulisic tends to do quite well against them uh, let's bring some positivity into the chat Sam Trevor Chalobah still hasn't lost a Chelsea game that he started any chance that he gets in the England World Cup squad why not I thought he was colossal honestly I thought he was amazing and you know I've spoken so much about you know, covering the PL2, covering the academy and him not being someone who necessarily stood out. What a great example he is to someone that just would not take no for an answer. Just rolled his sleeves up, didn't have particularly stellar loan spells early on in his career, but 
I was worried last year, probably when he was playing at times, that there was still a big mistake in him. On Saturday, I didn't feel like that. And that's the, the, the biggest compliment, I suppose. The amount of clearances, the amount of important little touches, I thought he was brilliant. Probably looked better in a two, strangely, um, than he has done in a three, where maybe he can be a little bit rash with his decision-making still at times. But I don't know what really know what it means, but um, a coming-of-age performance, maybe, for him. I just thought that that was a big game. Um, he made that mistake against Liverpool, was it, where he let in Mane for a goal? So that's a, that's a high-pressured situation. Change of shape may have disrupted him, but it didn't. It was it was outstanding and seems like a really, really good character, a really good guy and absolutely chuffed for him. And, and why not? If he continues like this, he'll, you have to be on the radar of the national team because he's playing so well. And the other thing I wanted to say, actually... Graham Potter, once upon a time, was an England under-21 international and he's been kind of not a, a club of the ilk of Chelsea challenging for, for titles, Champions League, blah, blah, blah. But there'll be a rapport there. That don't, don't pretend there won't be. And he'll want the guys that have come through the academy to do well, he'll extra well, because he, he was then once upon a time with aspirations of, of playing probably in the Premier League and for, and, and for England. So, um, yeah, full marks. I thought it was an outstanding display. I enjoyed the tweet which said if Trevor Chalobah played for a different Premier League club, how much money would Chelsea be looking mm, to spend yeah, on was him? Simon, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, I think he's just had, I think this has been a really great run of fixtures for him because I feel like the stat about him never losing for a long time, I was like, well, you know, you've got to kind of put it in context over the games he's maybe playing. But, you know, currently it does just feel like when he's playing in the the biggest games, he's just stepping up and... And yeah, it's exactly like Sam said. It was almost like at points towards the end of the game that it felt like he was leading the defence, which when you're next to Thiago Silva is is not something you say, but it just felt like there was a real jump in in his confidence as well. And, you know, maybe that that speaks to the thing of, of it not... That's why it doesn't feel like there's an error in him anyway, because it feels like he's just holding himself a bit differently and, and getting a run of games whereby he kind of feels like he's the first choice because... At the moment, aside from Silva, he he does feel like that, right? You know, it could have been Chalobah who was potentially taken off if you wanted to refigure that to, to make room for, for Kovacic in midfield. But I just think it, it speaks to the trust that Graham Potter has seemingly been been willing to put on him ever since uh, Wesley Fofana got injured. Yeah, and even if it is a little bit too late to uh, make the plane to Qatar, he's certainly looking like a fixture in the Chelsea team. Uh, disappointing to hear the homophobic chants from the Manchester United end and disappointing as well, Eric Ten Hag's response to them when Simon asked him about them in the post-match press conference and he compared it to the um, to the reception that Raphael Varane got when he went off the pitch injured. Not particularly helpful uh, from him. So that point for Chelsea puts them fifth in the table. They're behind fourth place Newcastle only on goal difference. They can put the Premier League to the side for a couple of days though because they're back in Champions League action. We'll have a quick look ahead to that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
So Chelsea and Austria on Tuesday, aiming to secure qualification to the knockout stages of the Champions League when they take on RB Salzburg. The permutations as follows. Chelsea will be through to the round of 16 if they win or if they draw an AC Milan win. Chelsea will also be confirmed in first place if they win and Dinamo Zagreb do not. Salzburg will be through to the round of 16 if they win and AC Milan don't. Um, Jesse, the, the Kovacic thing, would Chelsea be better off starting him, knowing that you might only get an hour from him, but you'd start with control of midfield, which is what we've seen that he brings in the game against Brentford and, and Man United? Potentially, I guess that's kind of a question for the, the medical team, right, in terms of how fit they see him as being. But I think clearly at the moment, he is the midfielder who's who's performing at the highest standard. I think it's kind of a shame maybe for for Ruben or there's something to figure out there because I don't think Ruben and Mateo are dissimilar players when they play in midfield, but it just feels like Kovacic is on a, on a different level right now. But I think in this game against Salzburg, it would maybe be... Obviously, everyone just, of course, you want to have control in the midfield. So I think if it's possible to start Kovacic, you would like to. But there are lots of games coming up quickly. And, you know, I can see why Potter is keener maybe to be like, if we can rest him, let's like start games and then and then see see where we are after that. Because, you know, then in an ideal world, if you if you look good, you don't have to bring him on at all or you bring him on for a lot less time. So... I'd like to think that I mean I know obviously the the draw against Salzburg you know previously wasn't wasn't ideal but I'd like to think that against a team like of Salzburg Chelsea should still be able to cope with a less high intensity midfield but who knows What's easier Sam if you're not fully fit is it easier to to start the game so you're at the pace of it immediately or would you rather be coming on when you've kind of got a read for it from from having watched on knowing that you're not going to have to play the full 90 um, probably starting the game, I would say, is easier. I found it incredibly difficult to come on and find the pace of the game. I think that's what separates actually the 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 top players, the elite players from your uh, from your lower league veterans like myself. Um, I always thought Hazard was amazing at that. You know, if you're at, sitting at Stamford Bridge and there's 15 minutes to go, Harry Kane actually for for Tottenham as well. The last few seasons when they've been desperately in need of a goal, picking up the pace. Hazard used to do it incredibly and be the best player for those 15 minutes. Um, so I think the the top guys don't find it too much of an issue. I'm a bit old school or I, I came through in a bit of an old school era where if you're fit to, fit to play, you're fit to start. That that was how you always always um, kind of taught or, or, or spoken to. But I think with Kovacic, Potter's mindset will be, I don't really want to have to use him today. Uh, you know, if I can just keep him on the on the bench, then absolutely perfect. He gets a bit of recuperation. He can go for the next game, but he's not had that luxury because of the way the two games have played out. So your hands forced, and that's that's the life of a manager. It, it's not ideal, and that change had to be made um, at the weekend. So he's obviously nursing something. Um, yeah, just his performances. I think it's just his his game understanding. His ability to to know where the next pass is going when it's probably travelling towards him, if that makes sense, and then progressing it up the pitch, which for someone like Conor Gallagher, probably Loftus-Cheek as well, it's all a bit off the cuff, if that's fair. Brilliant, you know, um, going into space, brilliant Conor Gallagher 
attacking balls in the box, getting the ball off centre forwards. Ruben, when he's he's running with the ball, but Kovacic in terms of receiving it maybe side on or with his back to to play and knowing that he can play on around the corner or make another angle, there's no one better. He he's exceptional at that, and I thought that was a a great example against Brentford. And um and again he he changed the sway of the game at the weekend. So. You'd love to see him start, but whether he's going to be up to it after playing, what, an hour um, so successfully at the weekend, we'll have to wait and see. But at the moment, on current form, he's the he's the best midfield player, isn't he? Actually, though, Jesse, this might be a good game for, for Graham Potter. I know he's made loads of changes for every game anyway, but, but to have a look at some players who maybe haven't played as much, because even if Chelsea don't win on Tuesday night, you'd still expect them to qualify from the position that they're in and with, with Zagreb at home being the match day six game. Yeah, and maybe it'd be interesting to see Carney Chukomenko getting a start, for example. I thought he was pretty good when he came on against United and, and that could be a different option for Chelsea to to have in midfield. I also wonder if maybe just taking Jorginho out of a game and, and just trying a bit of a different combo there and, and looking at how maybe we can progress the ball in a bit more of a, an aggressive and dynamic way rather than focusing predominantly on passing. That could also be an interesting thing to to try out. I definitely think there are a lot of options there. And this is the funny thing about Chelsea's midfield, right, especially, is that it doesn't work right now. But it doesn't feel like we're short of combinations that that could be there when you're looking at Chukomenka, Gallagher, Loftus-Cheek, Jorginho, Kovacic. So... There are definitely, you know, you could even look at like pulling Mount a bit further back, right? Which I guess at points is kind of what happened in the United game. So definitely, I think an opportunity for experimentation. And that's kind of why I go back to the fact that I feel like we can't be too hard on Potter for, for having to make those changes because there is still stuff to figure out. And the reason there's stuff to figure out is because, for example, Thomas Tuchel couldn't figure it out. That's why he got sacked. Um, so, yeah, I think it would be interesting to see some different things. And that's the van- advantage, right, of having those two victories of AC Milan. It does just take the pressure off just that little bit in, in this group stage, at least. Uh, Sam, we were wondering about the goal that was conceded against Man United and whether Kepper was culpable at all from it. He hasn't conceded one in a while. He's keeping his place for this game, right? And, and his confidence won't be knocked because he's he's had it all restored to him by the brilliant Ben Roberts. <laughs> Indeed. Um, I was going to pass this off as my own, but you know I've been in dialogue with the Oracle this morning, uh, David Priest. Um, but we've got a similar take on it, I would say. I thought it was going to be an amazing save. I mean, his confidence is sky high right now. You know, it was one of those I kind of gasped when I watched it because I thought it was just going to be one of those moments. But having watched it back and having thought about it a little bit, you know, it's it's real fine margins, isn't it? But I just felt that left hand was a little bit flimsy. It was a bit more unorthodox kind of save that he tried to pull off. And um, David Priest kind of agreed with me that maybe if he'd gone with the right or if his right is his dominant hand, potentially it would have been a stronger touch and it might have just um, gone and hit the base of the post dog on the other side. But um, he also said that um, maybe he could have got a micro step in. You know, maybe that's just a little, <laughs> a little additional little little step, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So I, I was going to pass it off as my own, but um, considering we had a, a similar take on it, I thought I'd uh, give David a mention because he is the top man in that in that respect. And yeah, I, I I think we can't be too hard on him because again, I thought if he'd have kept that out, that would have been something spectacular. But 
yeah, he's um, he's certainly earning his spot right now. A couple of great saves from Rashford in the first half and another top display. Microstep sounds like it should be something off Strictly. Yeah. <laughs> Tony Adams can't do microstep. <laughs> it, it, it's magnificent stuff and you would have seen straight through me if I'd have pulled that out. <laughs> I was just going to say on Kepa, I do think there's a kind of understandable level of analysis going into some yeah. of these things because of his, but you know like I was watching on Sky and some of the commentary around Kepa you know that, what was the point where he went he misjudged the bounce of the ball and, and it went for a corner but like it was never like a particularly dangerous thing and obviously it's annoying but you know Gary Neville's there like oh there's Kepa you know and I'm just like that's just like a, a normal thing that you'd get most goalkeepers do and I'm like oh god at some point surely the level of performance we've seen across the past couple of games should at least kind of turn down some of this this stuff. Like his number's going to go straight up and there's going to be another refusal right, on exactly. the spot. No, I shall not be moved. I'm banging form now. But I th- thought also the, the Rashford uh, save when he kind of went through on goal and, and Kepa came out, that one in particular, because again, I think that was something that I always felt like was one of Kepa's weaknesses, particularly in terms of how he dealt with 1v1s and the decision-making that was there. And I think, again, that's another thing that's like, Okay, great. Like you can see that he's building on the stuff before that he was his particular weaknesses. And for now, I'm not too worried if he kind of lets a ball accidentally bounce out or something like that. Yeah, he's fine. Um, Before we move on from this game, I want to go back to midfield because Jesse mentioned a lot of the combinations Chelsea could play with, Sam. Um, Your career incorporated more clubs than a night out with Jack Grealish. And all that time, you must have had the odd manager who didn't fancy you. So how's Dennis Zakaria feeling? Because he's not even getting a look in now, is he? And, and actually, this might be a decent game to to just see what he can do. Um, Possibly. Or do you hope that they could take maximum points here and the job's uh, you know almost done and then give them a run out against Zagreb? That would probably be my, my thinking here. Um, I still think there's something... On this game, obviously, um, not good is the way he'll be feeling, to put it mildly. There's still obviously plenty of the season to salvage something, whether it be at Chelsea or, or or elsewhere. So hopefully he's not feeling too downbeat. But yeah, the change of manager, it, it wipes the slate clean a little bit, but it's probably not played out in his favour so far. Um, obviously, he would have probably preferred to have... Um, Thomas Tuchel at the helm, someone who probably had a say in him coming in and was looking forward to working with him. So, you know, not to say that Potter doesn't, but um, he doesn't seem to be featuring the plans right now. Um, so obviously it's not something that's working out. He's he, he's not showing enough in training um, to get himself into the, into the reckoning. So I'm sure we'll see him at some stage, but um, it's not a great, a great look for him right now. Certainly not. Well, whoever features, uh, we will talk about the game on our Thursday show next today. We'll have a look at how the women's team got on this weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Instead, Chelsea are in. Harder. Black stays down. Time for Harder. She would. And Chelsea surely have sealed the three points here. It's been a hard fought win, but when you've got that quality off the bench, it always helps. So Chelsea took on their old nemesis, Brighton, in Jesse's backyard uh, nearly on Sunday. Jesse, you were on hand to see a 2 0 win on a pitch that gave new significance to the term waterlogged. I do not understand how this game went ahead at all. Um, I was quite glad it did because I had to travel to Crawley in the pouring rain. So from a selfish perspective, but oh my God, it was particularly bad in the first half when, when Chelsea were attacking one end because the penalty area was just so full of water that, you know, players were trying to dribble into the box with the ball as is a normal part of playing football. And the ball would just stop. And the players would kind of carry on going and look behind their shoulder and realise the ball was behind them. And I saw some people suggesting that, you know, that this is England, it rains, this is just, you know, part of the, the game. But clearly, you know, it was ridiculous, really, for Chelsea were really, really struggling, basically, to make the most of the chances and the ball they had because of because of how waterlogged the pitch was and there has to be a limit with these things ultimately right um but yeah fortunately despite the fact that, that fixture is always cursed anyway and Chelsea normally drop points I think um a 2-0 win there were lots of changes made horrible horrible night take the points and run so the goals both came in the second half Bethany England and Penilla Harder Harder coming off the bench England though wasn't convinced it was her goal I think it's Neves. I was there. I'm pretty sure I saw it go over the line before I kicked it in. So I would give that to... Is it mine? It is yours. So according to the goal adjudication committee, they're giving it to you. Oh, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm (laughs) buzzing, but like, Neves deserved that so much. Like, I've been training so hard with Neves and, oh, I'm happy, but yeah, bless Neves. I feel bad, but either way, we got the breakthrough for the first goal and it went in. So whoever got it, I'm buzzing, but sorry, (laughs) Neves. Jesse, I wanted to uh, focus on the referee because we haven't hammered the referee from the from the men's game. <laughs> there was a terrible decision in the first half. Was it Canarid that got brought down? I couldn't work it out. It was Williams. It was Jesse was the, Fleming. Jesse Fleming. Williams was the Brighton defender. It's the most obvious penalty I've ever seen, I think. Yeah, and I mean, I didn't really realise how bad it was because I was on the opposite side of the ground, so I couldn't really see. But the ref's like looking right at it as well. And it was disappointing because I was enjoying Chelsea's run of penalties throughout. I was thinking we could go the whole, you know, WSL season with a penalty a game and clearly we we deserve to have one. But yeah, it it was a really poor decision. And I mean, that ref does have a a bit of a rep and it, it is hard in the WSL. You know, the refs still aren't full time and it is very easy to handle them. And I don't really understand why that's not something that the FA are kind of funding ASAP because you get it every weekend in the WSL that there's, you know, a ridiculous decision in the Arsenal Liverpool game. For me, there was like a fairly clear penalty for a handball from Caitlin Ford. 
Chelsea lost to Liverpool because a similar decision was given for them. And, you know, I mean, I, I know this happens across, but I think whilst referees aren't full-time in this league, there is a very obvious um, advancement that could be made. And it, it's just crazy to me that it, it doesn't happen because, it you know, it's hard to then turn around and be annoyed at the referees because you're kind of like, well, you know, they're doing their, the best with, with what they have. Uh, so the win leaves Chelsea as one of three teams on 12 points at the top of this table, albeit they've played a game more than Arsenal and Man United. You touched on it briefly there, Jesse, but but this was a hell of an effort, right? I mean, obviously they're without Emma Hayes, as we know, but seven changes after the midweek exertions in a, in a fixture that they've tripped up in you know, for the last couple of years. It, there's a real grit and determination about this win, as well as the, the quality of, of the harder goal in particular. Yeah, definitely. And I think something that's been really good to see about this Chelsea side this season is that even when maybe the top players like Yassam Kurz, for example, haven't been at their very best, when players have come into this team, they've really, you know, impressed. And I think for me last night, someone who really stood out was was Jess Carter. She signed a, a contract earlier in the week, a new three-year deal. She hadn't played a single minute so far for, for Chelsea this season. And she she came into the side uh, for, for Kadisha Buchanan and she just brought a sense of calm confidence that I don't think this Chelsea defence has really had this season. And I think she is a player who there is a particularly tough call now to be made because she really, you know, laid down a marker to say I should be starting. And for Jess Carter to start, you have to either not play Kadisha Buchanan, who was the star summer signing, or Magda Eriksson, who's the captain. So there's a problem there. And equally, I think, Johanna Ritten-Canneridge, she's had some fantastic substitute performances. I thought she was great uh, midweek at, at PSG as well. And, and she had a really, really good game here. Fantastic uh, shot off the bar during this game as well. I, honestly, we must have hit that bar and posts on those goals so many times over the past years. I'd love a collective post count uh, for, for that ground. Um, but yeah, I think that's something that's been really important to see because I think, to be honest... Chelsea haven't looked great so far this season, but they're getting the results and they're getting the results because of the depth and the quality of the squad, right? Even being able to bring Penila Harder on uh, at the end and that was absolutely fantastic goal. I love it when she just like runs and smashes them like that. It just reminds you of like what a quality, quality player she is. Yeah, watch that goal, listener, if you haven't seen it and try not to go doof as she hits the ball. I don't think it's possible. It's one of those. Um, tell us a bit about the PSG game, Jesse. Millie Bright won it. it. Kind of overshadowed a bit by what Arsenal did against Lyon in the Champions League earlier in the week. But Chelsea worth the win here? Yeah, I think so. This was another game where the pitch was just ridiculous. This was a plastic pitch. And I, again, don't understand why in the Champions League you're playing games on on artificial pitches. It's absolutely ridiculous. We were literally sat next to Parc de France. There was no one on there. Play the game there on grass. Um, so I think Chelsea kind of struggled as a result of that. But I thought what this game really showed was a level of control that last season in the Champions League, Chelsea just did not have. You know, there were the games against Wolfsburg, against Juventus. They just descended into these, you know, ridiculous end-to-end things. And PSG looked rubbish, to be honest. They had they had very little in attack, but they still had players who who were able to to hurt Chelsea. And Chelsea didn't create a whole lot, but I think if Sam Kerr was on her best form, it probably would have been would have been two or three nil. Um, but yeah, just a very controlled performance. And I think to be able to leave. Paris with three points it's a really good 
good win for Chelsea, especially because PSG now play Real Madrid this week, while Chelsea have the Albanians, Vlatsnia, um, and that could be a really good opportunity to kind of make sure that we've got the points on the board and, and potentially PSG and Real Madrid, one of them is starting to, to drop off. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, also this weekend, the Dev squad enjoyed a win in PL2. They beat Blackburn 3-0. All the goals in the second half here. Mason Burstow is having a good run, kicked things off on the hour uh, before an Amari Hutchinson penalty on 90 minutes and a Ben Elliott goal deep into stoppage time. Remember, you can read all about Hutchinson in Simon's piece up on The Athletic. Uh, there's a UEFA Youth League game for the under-19s away to Salzburg on Tuesday lunchtime. You can watch that one on Chelsea's online platforms with Sam and I. On commentary, um, Sam, it's not been a very good campaign so far. They haven't managed to win a game. They need to to avoid defeat to have any chance of of going through. From from what you've seen so far, would, would you back them to get a result here? What do they need to do that, that that they haven't been doing so far? I would do, but yeah, it's been it's been a difficult campaign from from the outset, really, hasn't it? Yeah, from that was it Zagreb, the first mm. group game, Lost yeah, two, yeah, which I covered and. Um, yeah, defensively, not not good at all. I, I think it's difficult because, you know, the group's n- not as strong as, as what we've seen previously, um, but there's still some real good, talented players there. I just, I love this competition. I'm so jealous every time I cover a game because it just must be such an amazing experience. I would love to have been part of something similar. So I think it... Even though this this season looks like it's going to be an incredibly tough ask to to go deep in the competition, I think it, it's brilliant for facing different styles of football, for for travelling, for living essentially like the top guys for forty eight hours or whatever the the travelling and and the preparation that goes into it. So I think it's going to be obviously a, a difficult game. For, for, for those reasons, um, as they always are. But, you know, hopefully the performance can follow on from the Dev Squad victory uh, at the weekend, which saw some really good individual performances, some really good goals. Um, but again, you know, it's not it's not littered with maybe as as much quality as the depth we've seen in, in recent seasons. And um, it was a struggle last year, wasn't it? And they're still just finding their feet again in this campaign. Yeah, hammered by Genk in the playoff round last season. And the playoff round is all Chelsea can hope for. So the group winners go through automatically to the last 16. If you come second, you get a playoff against the team from the domestic champions path. So that's what Chelsea will be looking to secure over the next two games. Won't be easy though. Salzburg beaten finalists last season. They've won this competition uh, in the not too distant past as well. Whatever happens, we will... Fill you in on Thursday's show. That will just about do it for today, though. Uh, up on The Athletic now, you can read Simon's piece on the huge turnover of staff at the top of Chelsea since the takeover. And Chelsea adjacent Andy Naylor's written about Billy Gilmore needing to be patient to get into the Brighton team. It's going to be the buzzword for his career, isn't it, at this rate? Poor old Billy. Um, Jesse, have you got anything you'd like to plug before we go? I don't think I do have anything to plug. This. I'll plug what I did last week. I spoke to Sam Kerr last week, which was um, really fun, a really enjoyable chat with her at the, the FIFA 23 launch. Um, but, you know, she had some really interesting things to say about how, you know, maybe she came to England with a bit too much pressure on her shoulders and how it's kind of taken her some time to to slowly uh, fit in. And it didn't make it to the interview in the end, but I, I did ask her about comparing herself to Aubameyang's um, flips and she very quickly went he does a front flip and I do a back flip <laughs> but she said uh, she might get practicing to to properly compete 
Nice. Uh, remember when um, Sam Kerr first came and we were like, ooh, is she a bit like Timo Werner? Gets loads of chances <laughs> and can't finish them. How ridiculous. Uh, Sam, I think this might be the first commentary that you and I have done this season on Tuesday. Are we going to remember how to do it? Are you going to be calling me Ben like Jason does every five <laughs> minutes? No, I think we'll pick up where we've always uh, left off, Matt. It'll be um, it'll be sublime commentary. Yeah, so tune in if anyone's looking for something to do tomorrow afternoon. Uh, or listen to my um, interview with Ben Gladwin, the the, the maverick-like Swindon Town... <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, that's what I was going to say. If you ask me to plug something, that's a little joke. Sam's got a new podcast all about Swindon, basically. So if you know a Swindon fan, which is not very likely, but there must be one out there somewhere, <laughs> um, then do point them in the direction of it. Um, are, are you thinking that you're going to usurp me then and just become host of this one day? No. No. <laughs> The, the, the way that I've been going the opening few weeks, I think that's very doubtful. Maybe in three years' time, Matthew. <laughs> All right. Might be ready to um, hand over the bat on then. Sam and Jesse are going to be back with me on Thursday for our second Darren part. Barnard. <laughs> of the week. It will incorporate a quiz. Might it be Brighton-based? Mm, that might give Jesse a bit of a, an advantage with the local <laughs> knowledge. So we'll have to wait and see. Do you join us for that if you can? For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code The Athletic, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.